Well, uh, good morning. My name is Brian Jones. I'm the pastor here. I love Christmas at CCV. Um, I just want to let everybody know how proud I am of all of the volunteers and staff yesterday with our Christmas pictures with Santa. That was an absolute incredible success. Uh, love the fact that, that, that the people here are so generous um, with their time and, and to give, make a difference both here and around the world. I just, I just love this place. So um, I want, I want to uh, give a, a special invitation for those of you who are watching online. We know many uh, will watch our services for months and months and months before they decide to show up at our Christmas Eve services coming up, both Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve. Uh, we look forward to meeting you and your friends and your family members. So uh, this week, in preparation for my message, I googled awkward family Christmas photos. You ever, you ever taken one of those, an awkward family Christmas photo? Uh, the first picture right here reminded me of when our kids were small. Um, our kids, at least our youngest, was not particularly fond of Santa. Uh, next, this dad is going to regret someone in his family posting this online, uh, but not as bad as this dad is going to regret this photo. That's right. Yes. Let's, let's take a picture with no shirt on. Now, uh, this family really captures the excitement of Christmas right here. Woo! Yes. Let's do that. Um, one of my favorites is this guy right here. He's a cat guy. Raise your hand if you have a cat and you are not ashamed of it. Look, look at each other. Come on, hold the hands up. Let's look, keep your hand up and look at the dog people. Look down on them with disgust, you dog people. Anyway, um, I like this. I like this other guy right here showing he's Merry Christmas. I'm flexible and I'm going to the hospital. Um, this is one of my favorites right here. Uh, their son was dating a young woman, broke it off, but they were like, you know what, you know what, this is the best family photo we've had in a long time. We're not going to waste this one. We'll just put a, put a thing over her face there, right there. And um, finally, I love this because what parent hasn't been in this situation right here? Joy. Joy to the world. Uh, um, on Black Friday, Americans spent a record $5 billion in 24 hours. Uh, in fact, last Christmas season in 2018, Americans spent on Christmas gifts $465 billion. That's really hard to grasp, but just that's $465 billion is more than the gross national product of Australia. It's more than the gross national product of the Netherlands. It's more than the gross national product of Russia. It's more than the gross national product of Argentina or Switzerland or Turkey or Poland. Now, there's a reason we do this. There's a reason we do this every year. Uh, Americans are a very generous people. We like giving gifts. There's absolutely nothing wrong with giving gifts. But behind the gifts is there is this idea that at this time of the year, we want to make it special. We want to make it Christmassy. We're going to try to capture it in photos. Uh, we're going to try to capture it by buying and giving gifts. But we want to feel something 
We want to make something special. And we all know that we want to do that because when the holidays are not that way, we all get very disappointed, don't we? I mean, honestly, we get disappointed when, when they don't live up to the expectations that we have. It's ironic, though, that at this time of the year, people experience more loneliness, stress, and depression than at any other time of the year. We'll spend $5 billion in 24 hours, but we will be more depressed, more lonely, and more stressed at this time of the year than any other year. And that's because what we truly want and are yearning for can't be manufactured, and it can't be bought. And so I want to talk about that today. We're continuing our series called Adventus. Adventus comes from the Latin word, which means arrival. And in the ancient world, when a Roman emperor would go to the north and fight on the Germanic front against the Germanic tribes there, uh, as Marcus Aurelius did for almost a decade, and then come back into the city, the people in Rome would celebrate the Adventus of the emperor coming back into town. And you see these videos or pictures of, of crowds just going crazy for the emperor coming back, and that's what Christmas is. Christmas is the Adventus of the King of King and Lord of Lords. And so what we want to do during this time is that we want to prepare our heart for his Adventus, but we're facing a challenge. We're facing a collusion between um, greed, between stress, between tradition and our culture that keeps us at the surface level of Christmas. And what we want to do is we want to go deeper. We want to, as John the Baptist says, to prepare the way for the Lord to show up in our lives and do something amazing. So what I want to do is I want to look at a part of the Christmas story that's never read or talked about at Christmas, but it is very important. It's what happens after Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, have the baby, the shepherds show up, and the angels show up. One week later, Luke tells us in his second chapter of his gospel, it says, on the eighth day, because they were good Jews, Mary and Joseph, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus on the eighth day, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time for purification rites, which basically you have a couple that would take a baby, they would go to the temple, and they would do religious stuff, right, and circumcise the boy. It says, when the time came, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem. I just want to pause there and say, Jerusalem is a good five-hour hike from Bethlehem. It's short. It's a five, eight-minute drive, but it's going over hills. It's going to take you five hours to get into the temple. What did you do, for those of you who are parents, one week after your baby was born? Jesus was on a little journey for about five hours to hike up to Jerusalem. They took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Luke tries to present a good picture. Luke doesn't quote the whole verse from the Old Testament that talks about what a couple is supposed to do. Here's the actual verse that Luke is alluding to. 
Leviticus 12.8 says in the Old Testament, if she cannot afford a lamb, in other words, if she is so poor that she cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Does everybody get that? Mary and Joseph take their baby, go on a five-hour hike through the hills of Jerusalem, get to Jerusalem, and when they show up at the temple, they pull their wallets out, and they're like, we don't have enough money to buy a lamb, so they're going to give them the provision of something that literally a homeless person could afford with a penny. They could sacrifice two doves. Isn't it ironic that we spend $5 billion in 24 hours to celebrate and commemorate a guy that when he was born didn't have enough money actually to perform the purification rites in the temple. I want you to think about that. There are 300,000 items in the, our average homes. If we literally laid up every single thing that we owned, there'd be 300,000 items in each of our homes on average. The average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size in 50 years. One out of every 10 Americans rents off-site storage. Researchers have found that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys but only plays with 12. 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed. And get this, shopping malls outnumber high schools, and 93% of teenage girls rank shopping as their favorite pastime. This is what we talk about when we're talking about there is a collusion in our culture to keep us from truly preparing for the adventists of Jesus. My dad was born on the Mud River, Mud Creek, in Harold, Kentucky, in a one-room house. This is one generation away. My dad was born in a one-room house. When he was born, he was 13 pounds, by the way. When, I know, I know. And my grandmother was like 5'4", this little thing. I was like, Grandma, I have no idea, but 13 pounds, born in a, a one-room house on the Mud Creek, and um, they didn't have a doctor. She just was, he was born in the house. And uh, my dad said that it wasn't until he was 10 years old that he was ever at a gathering where he saw more than one kind of meat. You know how like on Thanksgiving, did you have turkey and ham and that sort of thing? He had never seen that before until he was about 10. Lisa's, my wife's aunt, Janet, said that for Christmas, because my kids were asking her, Janet, when you were small for Christmas, what was your favorite toy that you got? What was the th favorite thing that you looked for? And she said, when we were kids for Christmas, we were given an orange. So I, just want you, I want you to think about that for a second. That's only a generation away. I want you to think of five generations away. Now I want you to think all the way back to the year 30 AD when Jesus lived and walked the earth. I want to introduce you to two random people in the Christmas story that no one ever talks about. Two random people that show up while they're at the temple. They're presenting Jesus to get circumcised. And it says first that this guy named Simeon shows up. And they're like, this is the weirdest thing ever. What is this random guy showing up? Imagine you go one week after, after your baby's born, you go to the pediatrician's office, and someone does this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In other words, something really cool is going to happen. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here's this old man. He's at the temple. He's going there every day looking for the Messiah. And then moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And then when Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus to do what the custom of the law required, Simeon grabbed him. Literally grabbed him. Imagine going to the pediatrician and someone grabs your boy. Grabs, the, grabs Jesus, lifts him up into the air, and says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You get home and your wife asks, what happened to the pediatrician's office? He's like, ah, nothing. Can you imagine? What are you doing grabbing my kid? Remember we were at Applebee's one time when my firstborn, uh, that, this crazy Russian lady, ah, she's so beautiful, grabbed her, kissed her right on the lips. And um, I know, that's what my wife did. I was like, hey, the kid's fine. She's fine. Mary and Joseph were freaking out, obviously. What is going on? It's the, 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 the child's father and mother, Luke said, marveled at what they said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, hey, I just want to let you know, Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Prophesying and revealing what's going to happen at his death. Can you imagine Have you ever had something mystical like that happen? Someone comes up to you, something happens, some occurrence, some random thing, and you're like, huh, I really think there's like something going on here. Robert Wuthnow said right now, he's a sociologist from Princeton University, there's a greater quest for the transcendent now than at any other time that sociologists could measure. That's why we spend $5 billion in in a day. Because we're trying to get something. We're trying to feel something. Then out of the blue, a a woman shows up. A woman shows up. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanio of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Get this. She was married to her husband for seven years, and then she was a widow until she was 84, Didn't remarry. Why? Because she had a job to do. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, child grew up, grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. You imagine twice in one day something crazy like that happening to you. What I want to do right now is I want to talk about what God wants to do in your life, both as those of you who are not disciples of Jesus yet, and those of you who are disciples of Jesus. An experience that God wants you to have. 
And so um, you might have seen this before. Um, if you have, what I want you to do, for those of you who are already disciples, I want you to pray right now for people who are in the room who haven't yet understood and acted on this. I want you to pray for people literally that are hearing this right now and watching this online. The Bible tells us that in the beginning that God created us to have a relationship with him. And so I want you to imagine there's us and there's God. And for those of you who have started coming in the summer or the fall and you're trying to figure out why do these people come together into a building and they sing and then someone talks and they talk with one another and they get together and they connect with one another during the week and they reach out and they help the poor. What is going on here? Here's what's going on here. It all starts with this. The Bible tells us that we're meant to have a relationship with God. And for those of you who are not Christians yet, for those of you who are sort of kicking the tires and checking out Christianity, you know that this is real. You can feel it. It's probably the most true thing that you know about your existence is that there is the reason you're unhappy, and so you're reaching out for something. That something, the Bible says, is God. And the Bible tells us that the reason we're reaching out and we can't connect with it is at the beginning, and then every person afterwards has done something that the Bible calls sin. That, and what happens when we sin is we create a barrier between us and God. Now, listen, imagine a world where you don't feel any guilt any remorse, any shame. There's no addiction, there's no pain, there's no anger, there's no hatred, there's no war. I know this sounds like John Lennon, right? That, imagine that, okay? That's what this was like. They didn't even know what they didn't know. But once they said, you know what, this is not enough for us, we're not content with this, we're gonna go our own way, the Bible calls that that they sinned and it created a barrier between them and God. This is why before we become disciples of Jesus, we know that there's something there but we don't know what it is. We haven't figured it out yet and I'm telling you, for those of you who have started coming here, this is what this is. This is what you have been looking for and trying to understand your whole life. The Bible tells us that there's a barrier between us and God. And so what do we do? And just like most religions around the world that's manufactured by human beings, ideas that they come up with, is we try to get over to God's side by doing religious stuff. We go to confession. We show up at church. We give old ladies our parking spot at the mall. Probably not all of you, but some of you have given your parking spot up for an old lady at the mall. We do all kinds of things, but the problem is it all falls short. It's not enough. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not enough to get to the other side. What's worse is the Bible tells us that our sin must be punished. And that's where we get the concept of hell. There is no such thing as like a place called hell. What hell is is where God isn't. God says, this divide that you have right now going on in your life, if you don't fix that, that is going to be permanent. When you die, that divide between you and God is going to be real forever. And hell, that the Bible describes weeping and gnashing of teeth and different metaphors, is simply a description of when you are separated from God, 
which we all were when we weren't disciples of Jesus, this will continue after death. The Bible calls this hell. We know hell is real. Why? Because we've all been to New Jersey, right? We've all been there, driven through it. There is a hell. Trust me, right? The, the good news, the Bible calls this the gospel, that euangelion in Greek, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that God wasn't going to leave us alone in this mess. God loves you so much that he wasn't going to leave you in this mess, that he was going to create a way out. And so the Bible says that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he died on the cross, and that cross now becomes a bridge over which you can go to God's side. But you have to make a choice to do it. You just aren't born in America, and I'm going to go to heaven. There are a lot of people thinking that they're going to go to heaven, and they're not because they're simply trying to be religious. The Bible says that in order to get over to God's side, we need to do three things. We need to believe. We need to, like that most famous Bible verse in the world, John 3, 16, let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, where? On the cross. He gave his son on the cross. He offered up his son on the cross that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish in hell for eternity, but will have eternal life in eternity. So my question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for you? The second thing the Bible says is that we need to repent. It's an old English word, which just simply means, I'm going to change direction now. I was going this way saying, God, I'm going to do life on my own, and I realize and I acknowledge that I have hurt myself, I have hurt other people that I've loved, and I've hurt you, God. Hurting you? That's right, I have hurting you. That's right. So I've hurt you, God, right? So that's repentance. And then the Bible says that the physical step after believing and repenting is that we're to be baptized. And so Jesus was baptized. Every single person in the New Testament that became a Christian was baptized. Repent then and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I just want to say that many of you came from church traditions where you were sprinkled with water or you were sprinkled with water as a baby. When the Bible talks about baptism, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dunk underwater. And, it, and when you think about what Jesus was coming up with when he came up with baptism, it was a mock tomb. It would be really weird if his followers jumped in a hole and everybody started throwing dirt on him, right? Like it was a, like it was a grave. He said, that would get messy. That's weird. I'm just going to have them go down in water as if it was a grave because I want them to come up as if they're raising from a tomb. And this is what I want to point out for those of you who are already disciples of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Colossians, that dying on the cross was not just for our sins to forgive us. It was to free us from the things that are entrapping us. Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed the powers and authorities. It's talking about demonic powers. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I want to talk to those of you who, are, who have experienced depression. 
I want to talk to those of you who have experienced anxiety, to those of you who have experienced shame, for those of you that have regret over things that you've done, for those of you who are battling addiction, for those of you that have so much pain going on in your life right now, be it from relationships, something going on in your family, and you feel that you're all alone. The cross, when Jesus died on the cross, he was dancing on the head of Satan. It says he made a spectacle of them. I'm an Ohio State fan. In 1968, Woody Hayes from Ohio State was playing Bo Beckler, right? They were up five touchdowns at the end of the game. They scored their fifth touchdown. They had, a, they had a few seconds to go left on the clock. And you know in football, you can kick an extra point and it will give you one point. And you never, it's so unsportsmanlike to put your team on the field and go for two points after a touchdown. Well, Woody Hayes put his team on the field and, and went for two and scored two more points so that he could run the score up on Bo Beckler. After the game, someone uh, from the media ran up to him and said, Bo, why did you, why did you go for, for two points? And, or uh, Woody, why did you go for two points? And you've heard this before, and Woody said, because I couldn't go for three. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He's looking at the pain that you're going through. He's looking at the thing that has you trapped. And he looks at the principalities and the powers, the dark side. And he goes and he dies on the cross and he routes them, humiliating them, robbing them of, your, of power. And you are not alone. You are not under the power of the evil one. You have the ability to be free in Christ, to be forgiven, to be whole, to be made new. And that's what is offered to us at Christmas time with the Adventists of Jesus. Being made whole and finding a way to forgive and start over with family is way better than this manufactured Christmas holiday that our culture has given us. And so for those of you who are new and you want to take that step, we're having a baptism service the Sunday morning after Christmas. In your, in your program, there's a card. I want you to fill it out. I want you to write your name, say I'm going to be there. I want you to fold that in half, and as you leave today, I want you to drop it in the bowls as you leave. But for the rest of us, those of us who have already been forgiven, those of us who have already been set free, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. You're whole. You're forgiven. You're clean. Embrace that and live out that identity that the Adventists of Jesus has brought for us. Let's pray. We thank you so much, so much for not forgetting about us, that you arrived, you came back for us. You just couldn't envision moving on for eternity without us with you. And see, so you came and you made a way. Thank you so much for what you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.